as we prepare to gather around the word, I invite you to share as it's coming up on the screen now. Generous God, the Bible is your gift to us. We choose to receive your story with thanks. Providing God, your word is daily bread for us. Help us to hunger for your words of life. Challenging God, your word is living and active. Open us up to receive your truth in our hearts. Comforting God, your word sings out your everlasting love. Tune our ears to the frequency of your song. Guiding God, your word is a light to our path. May we reflect on your ways and then walk in them. Amen. Over the last few weeks, I've enjoyed people sharing pictures with me, showing some of the signs of spring. Be it the snowdrops, the daffodils, gorse bushes coming into bloom. After months of apparent deadness in parks and gardens, it's great to see signs of life and spring coming into view. And I've been encouraged to see first the buds and now the blossoming of some blackthorn bushes we planted in our back garden. And I'm glad because a while back we had a plumbing issue which left our back garden continually waterlogged and it took a while to work out what was causing it and solving it. And a number of plants didn't survive it. And we weren't sure if the blackthorn would be another victim so it's good to see signs of life. I've also planted a few tomato seeds in a propagator and several times a day I'm expectantly peering in, hoping to see those first little spots of green at the surface to suggest that something's going to come of them. Perhaps signs of life or hope have been extra significant this year after what has felt like a particularly long, dark winter of lockdown. And maybe any little sign of hope of spring symbolises the hope that we're turning the corner, that we might be getting more of our lives back, that this won't go on forever. Over this Lent season, we have been considering the theme of worship in the wilderness. We have seen how the Bible uses the idea or image of wilderness in a couple of different ways. One in surprisingly positive Wilderness can be a place of encounter and transformation where people encounter God in ways they might never have done before and might not otherwise have done. But the path to that encounter or transformation may be less welcome. Wilderness is a tough place, a place of danger, isolation, temptation. During this Lent season, some of us have also been attending the Churches Together prayer course on Zoom. It's a course which has wrestled with big questions about unanswered prayer. Questions we ask when we suffer or are struggling and God seems distant or silent. Or, as Pete Gregg's book title puts it, on mute. Questions like, how am I going to get through this? 
Why is this happening to me? Why do I feel so forsaken? Where is God in all of this? When will my prayer be heard or answered? And I'd love to say that I plan for those two things just to link together. But I'm not that clever or organised. And yet they have overlapped. One significant way in which we might find ourselves in wilderness-like experiences is in the question of unanswered prayer. Where we can be suffering, struggling, burdened, and we yearn for help. We cry out to God, but no answer seems to come. Heaven seems silent and unmoved. And there seems to be no reason why. And we can find ourselves asking, is there any hope? And we might feel ready to give up. Oh, it can come to us in all sorts of ways. That conflict that doesn't seem to have a resolution. A mistake in our past which seems to have brought life to a standstill. Leaving us unable to move on or paralysed by shame. An addictive behaviour or thought pattern that grinds you down and sucks the life out of you. Oh, it can be so many ways, but we can feel like we're in a wilderness or valley. Perhaps there are parts of our lives in which that image of the valley of dry bones really resonates. We're supposed to get a sense how hopeless the situation was from Ezekiel 37. Ezekiel was part of a priestly family in the temple of Jerusalem. He was born at what might seem to have been a good time, just after reforms that were made by King Josiah. Josiah is one of the very few kings to get anything like a decent write-up in Israel's history books. In some ways it's a slightly odd story and disturbing story really. Josiah orders repairs to the temple and whilst they're in progress they discover the book of the Torah. Apparently it had been ignored for so long they'd forgotten they had it. Josiah is stunned by what he reads and he initiates a series of reforms to draw the people back to God and to restore worship in the temple. But the reforms don't outlast him. Josiah is killed in battle. His son doesn't keep up the process of reform. And soon they were back where they were before. And then Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon invaded and conquered Jerusalem. And Ezekiel was one of those deported to Babylon. Not long afterwards, those who were left behind tried to rebel against Nebuchadnezzar and the city was razed to the ground and the temple utterly destroyed. So it seemed that what little chance they had of ever getting back to normal was gone. It seemed life in Babylon was to be the new normal for this people. I don't know about you, but during the various lockdowns, I've had periods where I've had some really weird, vivid dreams. I know Jules has as well, and I read on the BBC website a while back that it was quite common. And normally on those occasions when I remember them, I can think about them for a few moments, 
go, wow, that was a bit bizarre. And then I think, yeah, but I know what that's about. And Ezekiel would have been pretty sure what his vision was all about. He sees himself in a desert valley filled with dry bones. It looked like an army had been slaughtered there. Perhaps it was the army of Josiah or the army of those who had tried to rebel against Babylon. We can't be sure. But it's pretty clear to Ezekiel this is the plight of his people. Defeated, destroyed, hopeless. No way back. As if to drive home the points, he speaks of examining the scene more closely and finding that the bones were very dry. The buzzards had done their work picking every last bit of flesh off the bones. The sun had baked and bleached the remains. Any last sign that there was ever any life here was gone. You're supposed to get the sense this is as dead as it gets. Then God asks Ezekiel a question. Son of man, can these bones live? I'm told that in Hebrew the question is phrased in such a way as there is only one possible answer. No, they can't. They're as dry as anything. The wind and the heat of the sun have sucked out any last remaining moisture. The marrow is long gone. The bones are chipped, cracked, soon to be dust. But Ezekiel doesn't give the answer we expect. He says, Sovereign Lord, only you know the answer to that one. There's a real honesty to Ezekiel's answer. There is an uncertainty to his voice, a sense of powerlessness. He's surveying the scene and it's pretty far gone. Our theme for this morning is a truth-speaking journey. It's a truth about the wilderness experience. It's a time when we have to face reality. It's not a time for living in denial. We can drift through life a lot of the time and have the sense that we've got it all together and we can handle this. But the wilderness isn't one of those places. Wilderness is a space where all our illusions are shattered. Nothing gets resolved by hiding from it. You see, church can be a place where we put on a brave face and act it all as well. I have a friend who's a recovering alcoholic and drug addict and he tells me we could learn a thing or two from AA and NA meetings. He says no one there is trying to justify themselves or trying to paint a better picture than reality. He says if you're there, it's because you've bottomed out and you've had to face the truth, you're fighting a battle and you're coming off second best. Living in denial ain't going to help you. Your struggle needs to be named and faced. Well, whatever we face, any hope or resolution needs to begin with speaking truth. It's the first step towards new life. 
But there's another way of avoiding reality, which is just as paralyzing and destructive. I call it catastrophizing. You might liken it to rolling a snowball down a hill and it's picking up more and more snow as you go. What starts out as a relatively small thing builds and builds till suddenly you've got a major crisis. When I've suffered with anxiety, I've had this down to a fine art. Because fears are especially potent if they're kept vague and not really named. If I'm just vaguely anxious about something. And if I'm sat with my therapist, for example, she will ask me what my fantasy about a particular situation is. And then she'll ask me things like, well, what's the worst that can actually happen? And the vast majority of the time, the reality is nowhere near as bad as the fantasy. But the fantasy will stop you facing reality. But if you name it, if you'll allow it to be drawn to the surface, you can gain a truer sense of perspective. You know what you're dealing with. It may not necessarily be easy to resolve, but it's lost a lot of its power. And that's where Ezekiel is in the valley of the dry bones. He surveys the scene. He's invited to face things as they really are. And then the question comes, son of man, can these bones live? Sovereign Lord, only you know the answer to that one. Yeah, you can hear the uncertainty, feel the powerlessness. And yet, and yet, Ezekiel can't bring himself to say no. Ezekiel has seen so many strange and amazing things that he can't dismiss the possibility that they could. Because of the God who is speaking. There is one truth. Without God, it is pretty hopeless. But there's a deeper truth. With God, all things are possible. The voice comes again. Prophesy to the bones. Tell those dry bones to listen to the word of the Lord. And then God makes no fewer than ten promises, even repeating himself on occasion. Verse 4, I will cause breath to enter you. Verse 5, I will attach tendons to you. Verse 5 again, I will make flesh come upon you. Verse 5 again, I will cover you with skin. Verse 6, I will put new breath into you. He's only halfway through when a rattling begins. In his vision, the bones start to come together. They're still dead, but those first signs of life are starting to emerge. Keep going, says God. Prophesy to the breath. Call the winds from every direction to breathe new life into these bones. And he sees it happen. 
God reminds Ezekiel what the people are saying. And let's be honest, what Ezekiel may well himself have thought, or at least feared. That they were finished. That every last vestige of hope was gone. They were sunk. But God ain't finished. There's another five promises. Verse 12, I will open up your graves. Verse 12, again. I will raise you up and again I will bring you home to your land. Verse 14, I will put my spirit within you. Verse 14 again, I will settle you in your own land. This story seemed hopeless and finished, but it's not the final story of God or this people. Ten times God promises this wilderness, these dry bones, are not their final destiny. Ten times they are promised new life and wholeness, return and homecoming. And like a river of reassurance running throughout this whole chain of promises runs a single refrain. Verse 5, and you will live. Verse 6, you will live. Verse 14, you will live. Ezekiel, it seems hopeless. Without God, it is hopeless. But with God, all things are possible. With God, you will live. I want to take you to a different wilderness now in the New Testament where Jesus faces the first temptation and says we can't live by bread alone but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. When we find ourselves struggling in the wilderness when we're suffering and we're burdened and we're yearning for help and rescue but we feel isolated, alone and abandoned when the temptation is to consider it hopeless and feel ready to give up. When we turn on the news and it seems so grim. When we wrestle with stuff in our own lives, when we're fighting a losing battle and it all just seems hopeless. There is another truth being spoken. A deeper truth. And we are invited to lean into it. That nothing in life or death can separate us from the love of God. That with God, all things are possible. That God is the God who brings new life out of chaos. That God is the God who in Jesus has reached out to us. Who has entered into death itself and given it a new ending and meaning. A God for whom new life and resurrection aren't just something he did once in a garden in Jerusalem in AD 30. It's the family business. Earlier I mentioned a friend who's a recovering alcoholic and drug addict. About 25-30 years ago at marriage preparation classes in his local church, 
His prospective wife was told that the best thing she could do right now was cut all ties with him. He was a lost cause. He wasn't for changing. Don't let him drag her down with him. But today he's clean, dry, happily married to that woman, with grown-up kids. And he's a chaplain who was ordained in the very place that that advice was given. At one level, he might have seemed like a lost cause, and most likely the advice was given with the best of intention to help them face reality. But he leaned into a deeper truth, that with God, all things are possible. When we go through the wilderness, that's not the time to let go of God. That's the time to lean into him, to his word, to his promises, to allow him to speak the deeper truth. The wilderness is the place where we do have to face reality, where illusions are stripped away. It can be a place where we lose hope and feel ready to give up. And yet, and yet, there's a deeper truth we're invited to receive. That God will have the last word and his word will be good. When the word comes, is there any hope? Can these bones live? We might struggle to say yes. But don't discount God. They might be fleeting. They might be hard to spot. But look for the signs for the green shoots. Listen for the rally or the rattle of dry bones. For our God is the God of new life and resurrection. Grace and peace to you.